Hello, welcome to Bible Read Me. I'm Charles Van Dersen. Today I will pick up the summaries on April the 23rd, day 113. We read how after three months of abundant blessing on all of Obed-Edom's possessions and household, King David had the ark moved to Jerusalem in the proper manner, which was carried on poles by the ceremoniously purified Levites. David ordered the Levites to appoint musical leaders of choirs and instrumentalists. Bronze, cymbals, harps, lyres, trumpets, and ram's horns were used to accompany the singers as the Ark of God was being properly transported to Jerusalem. King David danced exuberantly before the Lord in the street. King Saul's daughter, Michael, apparently of the opinion that his was not the proper way for a king to behave in public, despised her husband's undignified praise dance, and because of her response to this, she entered her name into the historical barren obscurity, blocking any chance that one of Saul's dependents would eventually sit on David's throne. April the 24th, day 114. We read how God made his fourth of five irrevocable, unconditional covenant to David, confirming his dynasty, confirming ownership of the territory of Israel, and prophesying about the coming Messiah's rule in the millennial kingdom. David noticed that he lived in a fine cedar palace while the Ark of the Covenant was housed under a tent, and he wanted to construct a grand building for God. God sent Nathan the prophet to David with the message that he had no need for a building, and although later his son would build a temple, David was a man of war, and God's temple should be built by a man of peace. David's prayer of thanks demonstrated his humility and his loyalty to honoring God's reputation before the nations. David enjoyed military successes and dedicated the plunder of precious metals to the Lord upon his return. He composed Psalm 60 at this time, after Job led the army to kill 12,000 Edomites because they had attacked the southern area of Judah while David's forces were winning victories against the countries in the north. April 25th, day 115. We read that David's kingdom was well established militarily, administratively, and religiously. David remembered his covenant with Jonathan, sought out and found and provided for Jonathan's disabled son, Mephibosheth. Finally, the new king of Ammon greatly offended David's representatives while they were there to extend David's respects for the death of the former king. Realizing the dire consequences of his decision, the Ammonites hired a large army. Joab and his brother Abishi defeated the Ammonites and the Arameans. Then, when more Arameans were summoned, David led the Israeli army to defeat them on the other side of the Jordan River. After that, the Arameans became David's subjects and no longer helped the Ammonites. April the 26th, day 116. We read how David began to enjoy the success of his former conquest by delegating his nephew and army commander, Joab, to lead the armies of Israel while he reclined at home. It is during this time of leisure that David committed his most grievous of sins, which led one of the most poignant phrases ever directed to a king made by the prophet Nathan. After listening to Nathan's very carefully crafted story about a poor man suffering severe injustice by a rich man, David in great indignation condemned the perpetrator. Then Nathan turned the table directly when he replied, quote, You are that man. 
End quote. David immediately confessed, Against you, O Lord, I have sinned, when he composed Psalm 51. His newborn died after suffering a week-long illness, but God blessed Bathsheba with another son. God named him Jedidiah, but he's better known as Solomon. He was to become David's successor to the throne. Finally, the name mentioned last in today's reading was David's daughter Tamar, who will be tomorrow's subject that was the catalyst to begin his family's suffering, strife, and violent rebellion. Nathan had prophesied that this drama would be a result of God's discipline for David's sins. April the 27th, day 117. We read that Joab informed David that if he remained in his comfy couch while Joab's army was on the brink of victory over the Ammonites, a new champion would be praised. No doubt, David remembered how his popularity surpassed King Saul's when he accomplished his military assignments. So David went to lead the final attack and took the 75-pound golden gem-studded crown from the king and placed it on his own head and enslaved the Ammonites to the lowest level of jobs. Next, David's son, Amnon, lusted uncontrollably for his half-sister, Tamar. Realizing that there was no proper way for him to be satisfied with her, he resorted to a shoddy plan to entrap her in his room by pretending to be sick. After he raped her, he further dishonored her by throwing her out in the street like garbage. Already ambitious for the throne, Absalom, her full brother, plotted for two years and then successfully murdered him in revenge and to remove one of his competitors to the throne, I'm sure. After three years of banishment, David permitted him to return. Two years later, he was permitted to see King David, but David was unaware that this was the first of several steps in his plot to assume the throne by force. April the 28th day 118. Absalom won the hearts of the people by making promises that he could not possibly keep, by putting on an act of humble service to the people, by having support of David's most respected advisor, and by making it appear that his aging father was beginning to share the throne with him. He deceived many and created a treasonous momentum that pushed him beyond the restraint that could hold the door open for any hope of reconciliation with his father. His challenge for the throne put him under the penalty of death so that it would end up having to be either David or Absalom, but coexistence was now impossible. David was torn between justice, self-preservation, guilt, and the fatherly love for his son. David fled like he did from Saul, but wisely sent his advisor, Hushai, to spy on Absalom and take advantage of the present confusion to interject a counter-opinion to Ahithophel's better advice. Finally, all this was in fulfillment of God's plan. Reference 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 14. By human appearance, Absalom would have been an obvious candidate to assume the throne after his father David. He was the only son of David to be of royal descent by both father and mother, reference 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 3. David's favor of him in spite of his rebellion could suggest that David expected him to succeed the throne, 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 5. He was a very attractive looking man, reference 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 25. He was charming, persuasive, and eloquent, reference 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. He appeared to be humble and religious, 
Reference 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. He knew how to manipulate effectively. Reference 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 6 and verse 11. Also 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 28 and 29. Finally, he was a delegator. Reference 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 10 and verse 12. 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 25. Ahithophel's wisdom was so well respected that his words were considered by the people to be equal to that of the word of the Lord. Reference 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23. As Bathsheba's grandfather, reference 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 3 and chapter 23, verse 34, he may have also been harboring a deep-seated resentment for David's defilement of his granddaughter and the unjust loss of his grandson-in-law, and for the resulting pain that would have been laid on Eliam, his son, and Bathsheba's father, who, like Uriah, was also one of the mighty thirty. His advice for Absalom to sleep with David's wives may have been to satisfy two purposes, not only to drive an irreconcilable wedge between David and his son so that they would battle each other to the death over the throne, but also to shame David by having someone defile the women that he loved, just as he had done to Uriah. April the 29th, day 119. The priest's sons acted as spies for David, but after being discovered, they barely escaped to inform David that his entire company was in grave danger and needed to flee across the Jordan River into the wilderness. Once safely settled in Manaheim, David expressed his faith in God's provision and justice in the composition of Psalm 3 and Psalm 63. David organized his troops and gave the order to his commanders to spare his son's life. But Joab took advantage of Absalom's dilemma, that being he was suspended from a tree by his hair that had been entangled in the branches, holding him back when his donkey ran off during his retreat. Joab killed him. David's army won. 20,000 rebels were killed, mostly by accidents caused by the rough terrain, but David mourned so deeply for his son that the people were nearly ashamed of their victory. Joab wisely advised David to show gratitude to his loyalists before they deserted him. David returned to Jerusalem, and all who had defected to Absalom's rebellion were slow to return to David, probably out of shame and to avoid a traitor's punishment. This ends this week's summaries. My next episode will pick up on day 120, April the 30th. I look forward to your visit then. May God bless you.